0: If you're a loser, tune in and you'll be a winner. It's the Moran Analytics Podcast, talking Buffalo sports, Yankees, WWE, 80s music and pop culture. And now, here's your host, Patrick Moran.
1: All right, what's going on podcast fans? Hope all's well. Welcome to episode number 97 of the Moran Analytics Podcast. Today is Tuesday, February 26, 2019. Thank you, as always, for listening and downloading. If you haven't subscribed already, please do so. Rate and review that always helps tremendously. Got a little bit of a Moran Analytics Podcast curveball for you today. Now, usually I have a sports media or an athlete guest. Truth is, I've always been kind of fascinated by the world of content creating on YouTube. I think it's a real big part of the present, and I think it's going to be an even bigger part of the future. So on that note, today I'm going to welcome Sean Chandler, who has a very popular YouTube channel that I enjoy a lot. It's called Sean Chandler Talks About. We discuss how his love for talking about TV shows and movies ultimately led to him starting his own channel on YouTube. uh, The process that comes with it. And he's now grown that channel, by the way, to over 87,000 subscribers. Very impressive. We talk about what made him decide to start doing it full-time. I get him to offer a movie review of Fighting With My Family about WWE Star Page, produced, of course, by The Rock. And we end by discussing my favorite video that he's posted to date his top 10 episodes of The Office. I run down his list, and he gives a few takes about each episode. It's a fun interview, and like I said, definitely something different for this podcast. Before that, more of the same. I'll be joined by my buddy, recurring guest Aaron Quinn from Cover One for another segment. He's become a regular on this show. Anyway, we're talking about the NFL Combine, which starts later this week. We're talking some potential Buffalo Bills free agent targets. We're talking about one guy. If we could each pick one person that we'd like to see the Bills sign, who would that be? Aaron gives us a couple guys to really keep our eyes on at the Combine, including one guy that he predicts Bills fans will salivate over. From there, I run them through the Analytics Podcast Interest Meter, where I go through a series of sports and pop culture topics, and Aaron rates his interest on a scale of 1 to 10 for each. By the way, I got a pretty saucy... Bradley Cooper take following the Oscars on Sunday. I'll have both those chats for you in just a minute. Real quick, regarding that Sean Chandler interview that I have, I discovered his YouTube channel when I was searching for stuff on The Office. As many of you know, I've been running a six-part countdown on my blog, power ranking each and every one of the 185 episodes of The Office, and that just concluded Monday with my top 30. You can go check that out the entire series at Moranalytics.com. I'll put a link in the show notes as well. Maybe the funnest thing that I've ever done, if I'm being completely honest with you. A lot of work though. Spent several weeks binging that show again. And I took notes and I was slotting each episode where I thought they fell in regards to power rankings. And then I spent several hours putting together six different posts for the blog. A lot of photos, a lot of images, things like that. It was fun, but again, it was a lot of work, but it was definitely worth it. Good feedback from office fans, totally worth it. And like I've said, soon, in fact, very soon, now that I've done that countdown, I've gotten it out of the way, I'm gonna be launching the Finer Things Club on here, which is gonna be a semi-recurring segment where I'll have different sports media, athletes, fans of the show, guys like Sean Chandler from his YouTube channel coming on to talk about the office. We'll do something different each time a specific season, a specific episode, a character, a moment, all kinds of different things. It'll be a lot of fun. That'll be soon, but let's get to today first. Let's wrap with Aaron Quinn from Cover One. And then I got a nice chat with YouTube content creator, Sean Chandler. All right, I got Aaron Quinn from cover one on. Dude, you becoming a recurring guest on this show, one of my favorite. We gotta come up with a name though. That should be our homework between now and next week. We gotta come up with a pretty cool segment name. You gotta have, it's all about branding. You know what I'm saying?
2: Absolutely. I'm like a uh, bad carpet stain that you're just not really able to get rid of. I'm just going to keep showing up. So maybe we can do something along those lines, something with carpet stain. But no, yeah, no, we'll have to come up with something. I'll uh, grind my gears a little bit over the week and get back to you. I was following
1: you on Twitter Sunday night and you're not a fan of the Oscars, are you, man? You don't like watching those award shows. What's up with that?
2: Yeah, dude. So it's been a few years now. It's award shows in general. And I and to get on social media. I'm on all the time. And I'll get on and just see people constantly posting about it. And I just don't personally get the draw to watching them. Um, I... It's interesting later on when I find out who won what and then because I'm not a big movie guy until I'm way behind on all the new movies. So I'll see who won awards and say, oh, man, I really got to go watch that now. But so I guess I understand for the people that are invested in movies that they've seen this year and want to see which one wins. I get that a little bit. But, man, I don't know. It's a they have the whole red carpet thing that I don't know. It just seems like a lot of um, it's hoopla. overkill. Yeah, it's, it's def- a little bit. It is overkill. I- I'll admit this, though, for the
1: last. I don't know. I want to say four or five years now. I've actually watched all of the best picture nominees. I've seen them all through hook or crook, whether it was at the movies or one of those underground links, I've managed to watch all of them, including this year for the last couple of years. I don't know what it is, man. I just like tuning in and, you know, for years, I would watch the Oscars and I know where you're getting at because if you don't watch all these movies, what motivation you have to watch it because you're talking about shit that you ain't even seen yet. So I kind of use that as a reason to want to watch him. And I've done that for the last couple of years. I think they got it for the most part right on Sunday. I'll tell you what, though. Let me give you a Bradley Cooper take, man. All right. I got to give you one. Yeah, dude. (laughs) Does he roll out of bed and decide that, you know what? I'm going to fucking be a singer now because I mean, good looking dude. He's an actor. He's an Oscar nominated actor, Oscar nominated director. And then yeah. he just decides that I want to be a singer. And then he lays down a track. It's with super God handsome I, too. Fucking, Jesus Christ. At least in my other part of this take. Number one, it's like, yeah, I'm going to be a singer today. Next week, is he going to say, you know what? I'm going to play in a PGA tour, go out and get a set of clubs <laughs> and fucking, you know, go to the range a couple times. And then he's going to be playing Pebble Beach in three weeks, shooting two under. It just yes. seems like Dude could do everything. And yeah, <laughs> he's a pimp, man. I, I was telling me and my wife were having a conversation about this. Dude, I don't care if it's my wife your wife, anyone's wife out there listening, your girlfriend, whoever it is, if you're a girl out there listening to this, dude, if Bradley Cooper wants you, it's a done deal. It's as simple as that. I said, I'd be kind of disappointed in you if you didn't hook up with him (laughs) if he wanted you. He's probably, and I say this half jokingly, but he's probably the least likely person in the world to ever get accused of sexual assault because every female in the world probably wants this dude.
2: Oh my God. I would think so. I mean, I haven't seen the uh, the movie that he's nominated there for um, yet. I do want to see that. But everything I've seen him in, I think he's got to be up there as one of the most talented guys in Hollywood now. I would say maybe The Rock, uh, just because of the sheer star power that he provides. He's not as good of an actor, um, but he's still just that s- typical Hollywood star. Um, but Bradley Cooper, man, I think there's a good case for him to be you know, that next – Better looking than Tom Hanks. I don't know where you would put him. He's, he's got a lot more than maybe anybody of the acting ability that he has has had in a long time.
1: It just blows me away that he could sing. I was like, you got to be fucking kidding me. What, what can yeah. this dude do? Far and away, the highlights of the Oscars was
2: the duet that he did with Gaga. It was awesome. I'll have to go check it out. I'm going to sound like my grandfather a little bit here, but it, he's like a throwback in that he can sing because they don't make them like that anymore. My grandfather right. was just telling me they all could sing and dance uh, in Hollywood back in the day, and that just kind of faded over time. So good for him, man, bringing it back. Dude, I put up a take similar to this on my
1: Facebook on Monday morning, and I'm not going to read off some of the replies I got. They they weren't <laughs> good. A lot of <laughs> lot of accusations of having a man crush, and I'm saying that
2: in a very polite and generous. Oh, that's okay. People don't want to follow my Twitter feed if they're going to make accusations of man crushes (laughs) because there's a lot of that on my feed. (laughs) One other thing, too, and then we're going to get into the show. Literally, we're taping this Monday
1: evening. I just found out some awesome news, man. I just heard that WrestleMania 36 next year is coming to Tampa. Bro, I'm 45 minutes away from Raymond James Stadium. 45 minutes away. I am fucking ecstatic right
2: now. I'm so pumped. That is awesome. This is something that I have a a really good friend that runs a podcast that we, he has me on every once in a while and we talk and then my brother, and it's one thing we've always talked about is getting together and going to a WrestleMania and every year it comes by and we talk about it again. You should go. If it's that close, you have to be there, dude.
1: Yeah, I've done it three times. I went to, uh, what what was it? Um, I went, I don't remember the exact numbers. It was 18 was in Toronto. 19 was in Seattle. 20 was in New York city. I went to all three of those, but I haven't been one since. So that'll be 16 years. Yeah, there's no way. It came to Orlando in 2016. That was the summer, or not the summer. I moved here in the summer, and then the next spring, it was here. But I was still getting settled in. A lot of shit going on. And Orlando's yeah. about two hours away, so why didn't make it? But yeah, no excuse to not go to Tampa. I am freaking stoked for that. I Yeah, live
2: that you. up, man. Good for you.
1: Yeah. All right, so <laughs> let's actually get in the shit that matters today. The NFL Combine's coming at the end of the week lots of prospects that I'm sure not just Buffalo Bills fans, but NFL fans are going to be locked into. But for the purpose of this discussion, I kind of want to stick to the Buffalo Bills here. I'm going to run down about five or six guys and give me your take on them going into the combine and how you think they could possibly be fits with the Buffalo Bills. And I'm actually going to start with someone that I didn't, I know you have, but I haven't paid too much mind to, but that changed I was listening to, um, on my morning drive actually today, a podcast from last week, an ESPN one with Mel Kuyper and Todd McShay. And they were talking about TJ Hawkinson. And I heard Mel Kuyper was like kind of a comparison podcast. he was They were running off some guys and they were talking about comparisons. And I had never heard this before. But, dude, he kind of compared Hawkinson to Gronk. I mean, he's he's 6'4", 250. That was the comparison I heard. I mean, do you think that this guy can legitimately be in the mix to be the ninth pick for the Bills as a tight end. Because if he's as good as advertising, I don't know, you would know much better than me. But I don't think nine might not be too high of a pick. I mean, sure, they'd like to trade down, but let's just say they can't. If you're Brandon Bean, are you highly considering T.J. Hawkinson at nine Or do you think he's just too high no matter how he looks at the combine and everything else?
2: Yeah, I I think that's a tough comparison to make for anybody. This is what I hate when these guys do come out and make comparisons like that, because you're talking about probably, without a doubt, a first ballot Hall of Fame tight end, maybe the greatest tight end to ever play the game. That's a tough uh, draw for a kid to come into the league and make. I do think I do understand why people are saying that when you take a look at him. Uh, Everybody on the cover one uh, Slack channel is loving Hawkinson, and he is just rising on every mock draft I see. So nine doesn't sound as crazy as it did a month ago. I think we'll see a little bit here at the combine. Uh, you know, when you get him up and, and do these different athletic tests and show his athletic ability, I think that he's going to be right there with everybody and show you what exactly he has. And I think he'll just continue to rise throughout this process. I still don't know if I love him at nine. What I do love is the idea of trading back mid to late in the first round. And if he's there, you take him there. And I think that's a fantastic deal. Nine. I just don't know if I love it there. There's probably only three to four guys I love in this draft at nine. And I just don't know that he's there yet. I still have plenty of time to be convinced though. Sure.
1: It is very early too. Let me ask you this. There's three tight ends from everything I understand. He's one Irv Smith Jr. and um, Noel Front. Any of those guys, are they all going to be gone if the bills say that I, they want a tight end, but they're not willing to use a ninth pick? and they can't trade back into the middle of the first round and grab one, or they're unable to move up from their second pick, which everyone assumes they could do, but maybe let's just say they can Are any of those guys going to be available if they decide, I want to tight end the second round? Or do you think, does your gut tell you right now that all
2: three of those guys will be gone by the time the Bills pick in round two? I think either Fant or Irv Smith Jr. will be there at 41. And I am super big on Irv Smith. I, he's one of my biggest draft crushes right now going into the year. I always pick like a few random guys that are at the top of their position, uh, and he is one of them. I, I think that he is a phenomenal athlete. He's got the bloodline uh, of an NFL-caliber player. I went to the biggest school there is in the country, and he didn't have as much production as you'd like to see, but I think that was just more a usage thing. I think he's got a lot to offer. He's Definitely has flaws in his game, but I think he's definitely worth a second round pick. And then if all three of those guys are gone, say there is a a random run on tight ends, there are some other guys in this class that you'll start to see their names pop up. There's definitely a drop off after the top three, uh, but I think there's going to be some guys here that find their roles as starting tight ends in this league, contributing tight ends in this league that are in this draft too. They might not be the playmakers that you're seeing in the top three though. It's it's pretty heavy this year. Let's talk about two wide receivers. And let me preface this right now. The Bills, as things stand
1: right now, could potentially be in the mix for a wide receiver at nine, or maybe if they can move back to 12, 15, somewhere in that range. That may change. Obviously, if they go out and spend a ton of money and sign a Tyrell Williams or an Adam Humphreys or something like that, then they're probably not going to draft a wide receiver in the first round. But as things stand right now, they need a wide receiver badly. DK Metcalf is obviously one of them physically looks apart. Anyone who has social media saw that picture of him recently, where he looks like the Hulk. He's 6'4", nah. 225. Heard a lot of David Boston comparisons. Not sure I really like that, but what are you thinking right now, DJ Metcalf going into the combine and how far high up on the board do you think he can end up?
2: Yeah, so we were talking about different comparisons of who he might be able to become. And I had one that I thought was good. I always think my opinions are pretty good. Uh, But I I had him as more of like a Josh Gordon type receiver, which you take away all the off the field stuff. And that's a pretty fantastic (laughs) receiver. You know, you know, I love that comp. So if he is that or anywhere close to that, I, I think that he is worth that idea of him at nine. I'm seeing it a lot in mocks. He's not a guy that I love right there at nine. Uh, also, I would prefer trade back to get him, but I think he his stock is only going to rise. Um, at cover one, Kyle Trimble from banged up bills at banged up bills on Twitter. He does a great job breaking down injuries and things like that. Um, it, he did an article on DK Metcalf and really calmed a lot of my nerves about the injury and that being something that's going to be any type of long term impact on him or affect his draft draft stock. So that made me feel a little bit better about him, but I think he's going to blow the combine away. People are going to see that ripped, you know, talk about a man crush right here. I'm probably going to get hit on uh, Twitter pretty hard for this, but you see him running down the 40. He's probably going to have one of the fastest 40s of wide receivers. And uh, he's just going to he's going to blow everybody away with his athletic ability. And I think his stock only goes up. I think so, too. I think when it's all said and
1: done, he's going to be one of those guys who I think a lot of Bills fans are going to talk about him with that ninth pick, at least going into, like I said, free agency and especially If they don't land a decent receiver in free agency, I think I think he's going to be a big name out there. Here's another one. I don't think he is as well liked by most fans as DK Metcalf. Different type of receiver, too. Completely. Marquise Brown. He's only like about five eleven. I've heard a lot of Deshaun Jackson type comparisons. I'm not saying the Bills don't need a downfield, you know, threat like he would bring, but is that something you think they could do in the first round? A small burner who could stretch the field. Do you really think that's in the recipe? Or something they might do. Cause I'm eh, I don't know if
2: I'm I'm feeling that. Yeah, I don't love I don't love it, to be honest. I mean, it depends. I'm still all about the trade back, so it depends how far back they go and how much else they get. But I really think that this class, I'm not worried about getting a first round wide receiver. I think that they're gonna be able to get a guy and bring him in that can p- compete to be the best wide receiver in this class later in the draft. I think it's a deep class. I think there is some gems in this class to be had. Uh, so I'm not worried about finding the guy, even if they trade back in the first round. And I don't know that Brown is the guy that is going to be the biggest receiver out of this draft. I think that you have names like Akeem Butler, uh, you have uh, Calvin Harmon, you've got Metcalf, obviously Debo Samuel. I think a lot of these guys have the chance. To be just as good or better than him, a big a guy I'm huge on is uh, Terry McLaurin. He had a great senior bowl, Ohio State wide receiver. He reminds me, um, Eric didn't love this compact cover one, but he said it was okay. So that's probably the best I've gotten out of him so far. Uh, <laughs> but he, he reminds me a little bit of Robert Woods, just a really good oh, route runner, faster than you think he is. You know, he doesn't look that fast, but then he just breaks away from people and he's not scared to block. He's not scared to get his hat in there and big special teams guys. I think that's what the Bills might be looking for. Let's switch to the offensive line. I'm still not convinced that
1: this guy's going to be there at nine by any means. But I also, again, referring back to that Mel Kiper McShay podcast, you're talking about Jonah Williams and I never knew this. I and mean, I probably don't know shit, but He has the versatility to play guard or maybe even center going forward. I thought this guy was probably a left tackle. Clearly I'm wrong.
2: I think that is primarily what they're saying. We had Jordan Reed on our podcast to get ready for the combine. He's one of the cover one scouts. And I asked him straight up, I said, is this stuff just kind of Twitter, draft Twitter rumors that he's, you know, maybe not fit to play tackle in the NFL? And he said, no, I think it's very realistic that an NFL team gets their hands on him and moves him into the interior, uh, probably at guard, uh, but his body size is more for that. And he definitely has the technique to do it. So he's a much smarter guy than I am, Jordan is. So I take his word for that. And, I don't know if I love the idea of taking a guard at nine. Cause it's definitely not going to be Quentin Nelson. If there was a Quentin I was Nelson just
1: about to go there with you. I was yeah. about to say, I absolutely hate the thought of having a guard at nine, but then you think of Quentin Nelson or when it's six. And I mean, I'm pretty sure there's not a Colts fan out there who's complaining right now, but it's kind oh, of weird yeah, no. to compare this guy to
2: him. Yeah. If there was a Quentin Nelson in this draft I'd, I, I'd almost be ready to trade up for him. I'm not really don't attack me on Twitter for that. I'm not really going to trade up for a guard, but, uh, I don't think there's anybody that's going to come into the league and be a Quentin Nelson at all on this offensive line, uh, class, but there's some good guys and I, I don't know. I don't like him at nine. Uh, but I, he's definitely a guy that if you trade back and you know, he could really fill, I think the guard spot or the bills might seem as a tackle. You just don't know. What about Juwan
1: Taylor? He was diagnosed on Monday with a mild hamstring strain won't perform at the combine. I really don't know that that means anything. You don't think that'll have any effect on him at all when it comes to a bill's evaluation. Do you? Because again, we talked about this last week. I think it was last week where there's a lot of mock drafts out there right now. They got them going nine to the bills, probably more than any other player I've seen
0: right
2: at this point. It's making more and more sense to me. He is a guy that you know. I kept saying guys that I'm not happy with at nine. I'd be okay with him at nine. I think he might be the best tackle prospect, and it's a huge area of concern. You want to keep Josh Allen upright. Uh, you saw that the Indianapolis Colts made a really big, uh, made that a big part of their successes, keeping Andrew Luck upright. So, all for it there. I don't think that him not participating in the athletic part- portion of the combine matters. I'll be interested to see where he weighs in at. I think I know that he had to really get his weight down to a. Plan level. So that's pretty hard to do as somebody that uh, tried to lose weight his whole life. It's not always easy to get down to the weight you want (laughs) to. But uh, uh, for a big guy like that to get down to the playing weight they're trying to get him at, I think will be interesting to see. But yeah, no, I don't think his stock's going to go up and down based on. Yeah, I wasn't looking forward to seeing him run a 40 and I don't think the scouts really (laughs) care either, you know. Right. Before we move on from the rookies and the
1: prospects, one or two guys that you're looking forward to seeing at the combine that may not be you know, the 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 draft nicks out for them out there, household names, so to speak. A couple guys who might not be upper to mid first round guys right now, but you still really want to see them.
2: Yeah. So I am really interested after the conversation we have with Jordan Reed to see Kelvin Harmon, uh, the wide receiver. I also really want to see Andy Isabella, uh, a UMass guy, little short white guy, kind of that Patriots slot receiver mold guy. When you think about that, Um, he had a ton of success, huge production at UMass. I want to see when he gets in the room with all these guys that are going to be stepping to be NFL wide receivers. Does he fit with those guys and can he compete? I know it's the combine, so they're not competing, but how does he test to those guys and how does he look just being around those guys? I'm interested to see that. Um, And I think he'll interview well during that process. Uh, other guys that I'm interested to see, are really the running back room, it really intrigues me because I think right around that fourth, fifth round is going to be a sweet spot for the Bills to get LaShawn McCoy's potential replacement. And there's some guys in this draft, I don't know if they'll be there, but Daryl Henderson, Devin Singletary, guys that, you know, uh, Henderson... Uh, played in memphis and you don't really know what you're getting at a guy from memphis right it's not the biggest school in the world can he put up the kind of production that he did in the nfl we're gonna get to see him up close with these other nfl running backs and singletary is the same way a, a florida international guy can he be an nfl running back you're gonna see him test with some of the best and a guy that Jordan Reed again the guest on Cover 1 podcast the other day told us was Travion Williams from Texas A&M little dude he said he's going to burn at the combine he's just a burner and he said you know he's a really good running back to potentially down the road pass catching type guy that would fit really nice with the bills so that might be something to keep an eye on
1: good stuff all right let's turn our attention to free agency it starts at about 2 weeks you know forever we've been doing these segments, and you're like, well, we got plenty of time to talk about that. Well, we kind of don't anymore because now, yeah, it's coming. like I said, it is starting in two weeks. The Bills did cut Charles Clay. They still got a couple of veterans on this roster that I think could be gone before free agency starts. Uh, Dakas, Bodine, Chris Ivory; those are definitely three of them going in the free agency. And by the way, NFL.com published a list of their top 101 free agents on Monday, and. To tell you, to put in perspective how active the Bills may end up being, they got the fourth most cap room in the NFL, and the highest Buffalo Bill free agent on that list was Jordan Phillips, who comes in at number 82. Before I talk about anyone else, what about Jordan Phillips? Is that a guy that you think the Bills should make a decent, I don't want to say a big push, but a decent push to try to bring back into
2: the mix? I'd like to see him back. I'm actually surprised that he's not back yet. They must be negotiating uh, this whole time. I would have thought the deal would have gotten done by now. He fits really nice with what we're trying to do. Especially after losing Kyle Williams, it would be nice to go into free agency in the draft, knowing that you at least have that depth there. I think he's a really a good player for this team and a nice rotational piece. And we know Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott want. If I think Brandon Bean said it. He said, if we could have nine guys that were just good quality rotational guys, that would be the preference at the defensive line. So I'd like to see him come back. I don't know if something's holding up negotiations or he wants to kind of test what his market is. Um, I do trust that Bean is not going to overvalue him. So so that makes me feel good. But it's going to just add another hole if we don't get him back. You know, there's a
1: free agent out there that doesn't seem on the surface to make much sense. or it wouldn't make sense, but I don't think anyone's thinking about. But I'm going to tell you this right now. I got a feeling in my gut that the Bills are going to take a run at Tevin Coleman.
2: Okay, I've heard that in certain places.
1: Yeah, I I see it happening. They could easily get rid of Chris Ivory. Hell, they could even get rid of Lashawn McCoy. But even Coleman signing might not necessarily mean McCoy's gone. And it'll definitely mean Ivory's gone. But that's just a playmaker. I could really see him fitting into
2: this Brian DeBowell offense. And uh, why not? Why not take a run at someone like him? I think it depends where this market goes. I don't think running backs are going to get paid that great. They just don't have the value. So you might be able to get guys like him uh, on a pretty decent, friendly deal. Uh, so I would be totally happy with that. I do think that the running back draft class is stocked with guys that present similar uh, things that Coleman does. And you get him younger and you get them on a rookie deal, which is Brandon Bean is going to like that contract control. Uh, but Tevin Coleman has production in the NFL and. You could be a really good rookie, but if you don't have uh, guaranteed production in the NFL, you might not ever get that production. So it's definitely a tough decision to make. The way I feel the running back room should be addressed is bring in a guy, draft a guy, grab an undrafted free agent or two, keep uh, Shady and Chris Ivory all through summer and let it just play out in training camp and the best three remain on the team and see you later to whoever doesn't make it. They have the money to have that room, have a little bit of money invested into it, going into camp and then just, you know, whoever wins, wins the job. Let me ask you this. Okay. In a perfect world, a team like Buffalo or any team
1: for that matter, they would address all their needs in the draft, all of them, Mm. because you get guys cheaper. You get guys that you want, that you're scouting, that you're bringing in, that you get to develop, you know, under your organization. But yeah. obviously things don't work out that way. Now you look at the free agency list. Now money's not a factor. Now the bills are not going, they're going to be active, but not careless. Brandon being and I'm paraphrasing that, but that's kind of what he was alluding to that, how they're yep. going to approach free agency. What is a position or two that you would prefer to see the bills address via free agency as opposed to the draft? Because again, the draft is the preferred method, but you, you know, if you need a, a number one or two wide receiver, a tight end, an offensive tackle, maybe a defensive end, you know, five, six different positions. You're not going to get all those, you know, starter impact players via the draft. So you got to get something in free agency. What's a position or
2: two that you really would prefer to see them go the free agency route for? Offensive line really cross over. The, there's holes still everywhere. Even with the uh, signing of Long that we did, I, I still think that any of those positions are open to signing. And you have guys like Daryl Williams out there, Roger Saffold. Uh, there's a couple other bigger names. Trent Brown's a guy. I think that's going to command quite a bit of money. Yeah, Daryl Williams. Uh, yep. Yeah, Daryl Williams, another guy. Obviously, some connections there. So I think that is a place I like bringing in a vet, just because sometimes it does take a rookie quite a while to get their legs underneath them. Obviously, we didn't see that last year with Quentin Nelson. More and more rookies are able to come in and play, but that's a position I would like to get at least some bets because they're not going to be able to address it all in free agency or the draft. There's just too many holes there, so totally fine with that. And then another one is tight end. It's another position where I want a guy in free agency and then I'd really like one of the top three guys in the draft because, Rookies just don't tend to produce at the tight end position, even the top, you know, guys picked in the top three rounds don't always come in and produce right away. So I would like to get the the tight end of the future locked up via the draft, but really get a guy that can come and contribute right now for the next whatever one to two years, maybe on a three year deal. It uh, doesn't have to be the best tight end in free agency, but just a guy that can come in, knows how to block can catch, can be a reliable target for Josh Allen. That's all I'm asking for. And I think you get that in free agency.
1: Let's just say you can have one free agent, realistically, one out there. Anyone you want. Who do you, who, who are you having the bill sign? Again, they're not getting Demarcus Lawrence. You know what I mean? They're not getting J being sure. clowny. Semi-realistically, you could have Semi-realistically, one. Semi-realistically, all
2: right. Who are you gonna get? Well, I was going to say, the you made it semi-realistic. Uh, Eric brought up a great point about overpaying a little bit, or not even overpaying, but paying his value for Grady Jarrett. I would be totally willing to do that, but I think I don't think there's any chance the Falcons let him even come close to sniffing free agency. Uh, so outside of that, if I had to pick any of these guys in free agency, geez, I, I think I would still get into the mid-round there of, I think I'd go with Trent Brown. I think, uh, he showed enough protecting Tom Brady and I I would like to make an investment into Josh Allen. If he is the future, uh, make a, make an investment there and then really build your line around that. Um, with you on the unit, my, I really like Matt
1: Paradis or Mitch Morris, but especially Matt Paradis. I really think they could get a really good, solid veteran center anchor. I'm not sold whatsoever on Spencer Long starting at center or starting period. I think right now, Spencer Long is insurance. He could start if they can't do better. You know what I mean? But they did not sign him in February and say, all right, we're done with center. now." that
2: not by any means. No, no, definitely not. I I think there's a legitimate chance they do try to make a shot at paradise. And that'd be uh, a guy that I'm totally happy with. All
1: right, let's move on before we wrap up the Moran analytics podcast interest meter. Same thing we always do. Just going to run off a bunch of topics for you. Scale them one to 10, use fractions if you want. One being you don't give two shits. 10 being you're all kinds of interested. Maybe you have a quick take or two along the way. All right, you good? Let's do it. All right, man. ESPN reports that Pittsburgh will not trade Antonio Brown to the Patriots or to anyone in the AFC North, and their preference is for them to go to an NFC team.
2: 6.3. And I don't really, they don't really have a ton of leverage. I don't think in this uh, trade, you know, it's going to come down. I heard only three teams were calling last week. So it's going to come down to whoever's willing to give you whatever you can get for this guy, because he's not part of your future. So take what you can get. On average, how many tweets do you see per week
1: from Buffalo Bills fans asking, what would you trade for Antonio Brown? I've been guilty of it once or twice. I'm not going to lie to you.
2: I don't mind talking about it. It's the same people over and over again, trying to drum up. It, uh, I'm down for having a conversation about it, but I see it a lot on our feed. I just, I don't even think it's close to something that's realistic it's for not, Brandon Bean, And I don't even just not. There's so many things about it that don't make sense. I'd be stunned. It's if not happening.
1: I've, yeah. I don't, not that I'm some kind of bills insider, but I, you know, I have a relationship with some players. I've talked to some people. It's not happening. It ain't I, happen. it, it's not happening. Yeah. Let's no, move I, on. Lakers 10th in the Western conference right now, three back. Serious danger of not making the playoffs. LeBron has not missed a playoff since his sophomore
2: season. At 9.2, I am one of the biggest LeBron haters you'll ever meet in your life. And I think that this is all his karma coming in together. His uh, He's destroyed the chemistry on this team, the way he acted in, towards the trade deadline. I think they have a good enough team to be a playoff team. And if I'm the number one seed, I'm hoping that LeBron doesn't become an eight seed because you just don't want to play him in the playoffs. But I hope that he sits out this playoffs. I think that he should never have left Cleveland and did this for his own personal brand. And so shame on him. I hope he misses the playoffs. I'll tell you
1: what, I am not a Skip Bayless fan. I hate Skip, but he called him LeBron blames after this weekend because he's blaming everyone else except himself. So I actually, for once, I actually agree with Skip. I do too. Yeah. All right, just a few days left before we hit March, and the Milwaukee Bucks have the best record in the NBA.
2: That is a eight point three for me. I'm about a year behind on the Bucks being a hot team. Last year, I was telling everybody, "You got to watch these guys; are the team to beat. They're going to be the team to beat." And I was back a year on it. Uh, Giannis is unbelievable uh, specimen to watch he's one of the few guys that i would pay good money to go sit really as close to the court as i could to watch him play live it's unbelievable he might be one of the top athletes in professional sports in the world uh, so it, it's incredible what they've put together there and i would as much as i'm a bulls fan and i, I hate to see a team so close to chicago succeed i think it would be really cool for milwaukee to get a team even into the Eastern Conference Finals, but definitely into the finals would be super cool to see.
1: You know, I love your take there. Giannis is one of the most underrated athletes in sports right now. Dude, his team's number one in the East. hes I never hear talk about him for MVP. It's all yeah. Harden or Westbrook or Durant. And don't get me wrong, those guys are great, but this guy is unbelievable. He's definitely one of the more underrated athletes in all of sports. Moving on, Boogie Cousins, and advice to Zion Williamson about whether he should play again or rest for the NBA draft said, and I'm quoting here, college basketball is bullshit. Uh, 9.8. He's
2: he's so right. Uh, Especially for the top prospects, it's bullshit. And obviously not for the guys that are trying to build a career and make a name for themselves. I hate everything about the NCAA and the fact that it is a monopoly on amateur sports, that these guys are literally, they have no choice but to go this route and make billions of dollars for the NCAA and schools. Uh, So Zion should never touch another court again until he gets a check. Uh, He's done more than enough to earn interest in the NBA. He's going to get well paid as soon as the draft begins. So there's nothing for him to gain by stepping on a court again. I'm making
1: notes right now for a future segment, me and you, we're going to have a nice lengthy discussion about this. I got some good points too. I like yours. We'll talk about that again down the road. All right. Switching to baseball. Last week, Manny Machado, 10 years, $300 million
2: to the San Diego Padres. At 1.5, baseball has no almost no interest to me. I tend to check it out as it gets towards the end of the season to see who's at the top. Um, I'll always little bit be a Red Sox fan in the back of my mind, but uh, it's too long of a season, man. It's hard to get excited.
1: All right, second note here. Don't ever <laughs> ask Aaron about baseball topics again. <laughs> Let's circle 90, back bitch. to college hoops That's for a 90. second. UB's yeah. men hoops ranked 21st in the country. March Madness is coming. Buffalo's still ranked at 16
2: straight weeks. They've been in the and the rankings now. That's uh, a. Just solid eight for me. I That's exciting just to be up here local. I have no ties to UB. Uh, I'm a UConn fan, but uh, I, I think it's really great for the community when the UB Bulls are good because th- let's be frank, there's no other good teams here in Buffalo. So uh, if the Bulls are good, it's good for the community. It gets everybody jazzed up. And, and that just brings a, a level of excitement when you're living here, uh, it, which is good for us.
1: I love the fact that they're good,
2: but the bottom line is Buffalo's never going to be a major college sports town. It's a pro
1: town, and I don't think anything's going to change that. It's unfortunate, too, because UB, both football and basketball are two really good programs, and I'm not saying people don't give a shit because they do give a shit, but it just doesn't compare, you know, because Buffalo's a pro sports town. Now, down here in Florida, a lot of these towns where I'm near, you know, Gainesville and Tallahassee, even in Miami, some of these towns that have pro teams, I'm telling you, they care about the colleges more than they do the pros.
2: Yeah, no, here we only care when it's good. My neighbors are only talking about or I see people out in UB stuff when they are at their peak of being good or in the tournament. You don't hear a lot about it. Uh, it, You're right. It'll never be a college town. And, you you know, I feel bad for some UB fans because I think they – believe that UB can take that next step into being some type of a powerhouse. But I think ultimately they'll always be a little bit of a stepping stone university uh, and a really good stepping stone for a lot of names to get known or coaches to go on to some of the bigger name jobs.
1: Yeah, I completely agree with you. All right. Last topic, maybe a couple of weeks ago, I, this would have been a guaranteed one, but you did go to a Sabres game recently. So I got hit yeah, yeah. on them. They trade Nathan Bolu to Winnipeg. They dumped him for a late round pick. And then they acquired Brandon Montour from Anaheim for first and Brandon Gooley. Bottom line, Sabres did make moves before the deadline. Yeah,
2: I think that for me is a six and a half. Uh, I'm interested in that. I do the graphics for Die by the Blade, uh, the SB Nation. So I do pay attention to the Sabres for that because I got to know when I'm making graphics. And all the guys that I talk to that like the Sabres say, hey, man, this is a good move. Uh, It's good to see them taking these type of calculated risks. Uh, The Skinner, you know, we heard a lot about taking a trade on Skinner. That wasn't really much of a risk this one is a little bit more um at least the the trade for a player so i really want the sabers to be good even though i'm not a huge hockey fan i want it so bad for that that fan base is so passionate and they deserve it every single summer i hear how much better the sabers are going to be than the bills my twitter blows up oh the sabers are such a better position and at the end of the year we're both Loser teams not in the playoffs, so I really want that for them. I think the city, I want to see what the city's like when the Sabres are in the playoffs.
1: Any last thoughts? Let's end this with you giving me a guy who's going to come out of the NFL combine, a prospect that Bills fans are going to absolutely salivate over.
2: I think it's going to be DK Metcalf. I, you're already seeing people wanting him at nine. I'm not there yet. I think that he's just going to blow people away at the combine. We haven't seen him in a while. Uh, Obviously, the injury kept him off the field. When people see him running around in those tights, doing the things that he can physically do with the muscle mass that he has and the sheer size that he has, I can't see fans not coming away, just salivating over him.
1: Okay, my guest today is different than most guests I've had on this podcast. He's not in the sports media. He's not an athlete. He is a YouTube content creator that I've become a big fan of over the past few months. He started talking about movies and TV shows and such as a hobby, and he's grown it into a channel big enough now that he's now doing it full time. I found that interesting and I wanted to talk to him about it. So I'm joined right now by Sean Chandler from the Sean Chandler Talks About YouTube channel. What's going on, Sean? How you doing? I am doing great.
0: Uh, it's not just that I, I've gone full-time. Today is my first day of officially full-time not having to go into work. So I am doing great today. And thank you so much for having me. How does that feel? It's got to be a huge adjustment for you to, to transition
1: into full time and, you know, not go to your quote-unquote daytime job. I mean, this is your daytime
0: job now. Right. I mean, last night is when it really hit where I was like, I have nowhere to be. Mondays don't matter anymore. There's no such thing as the Mondays because I can do whatever I want tomorrow. (laughs) And so it's a a really strange adjustment to know I am my boss. I determine the schedule and I have to motivate myself to get things done to make the money.
1: Sure. I was initially drawn to your channel because I did a search for stuff on The Office, which we're going to talk about that in a few minutes. It's my favorite TV show ever. But I wanted to say right off the bat, what made me stick around to your channel is that I think you have a really nice rapport with your viewers. I feel like you're having a conversation with them as opposed to just talking at them. You know what I mean? If that makes sense. I think you have a really good rapport with your viewers and it feels like you're having a conversation with them about a movie
0: or a TV show. Right. Right. And I think that goes back to just kind of my history. I started the channel in my mid thirties. And so I'd spent the previous 15, 20 years in the comment section on other people's videos. I relate to the people in the comment section more than other big creators. Like, I don't, I don't know what, what you're supposed to do as a big creator, but I know what it means to be a person in the comment section that, uh, I know what it meant to me when someone responded to me, then I commented on their video. I know what it meant to me when I got that reply to my tweet from a person that I respected, and that's just who I want to be. And that's where I feel comfortable is talking movies and TV with people. I was going to make sure that I add that too. Your thing is TV and
1: movies. You know, some people have tech channels and things like that. Yours is TV, movies, entertainment. And before we get into what you got going on currently, let's go back a couple of years. Tell us about what inspired you
0: to first start making videos to begin with yeah so some of what i just mentioned i've always been a person that likes to create things i've always been someone that's been into nerdy stuff like that so going back 20 years ago when i was in high school i put up a jackie chan fan page using you know GeoCities or whatever the website was 20 years ago and um it was horrible it had frames it looks hideous I, I still have some pictures of it and everything but that's the person i've always been and so then when imdb came around i was the person in the message board i've commented all the block movies blogs that are famous. And then I was the person commenting on everybody else's YouTube videos for several years. And so then eventually I was like, Hey, I've got a background in public speaking. I love movies. I have knowledge. And I watched some of these guys that were kind of getting famous. And I was like, I can do that. And some of that's just <laughs> some of that was delusional. I knew it wasn't as good as ever anything like that. But at the same time, there's a side to it of like, yeah, I mean, I do have some skills talking and I know video editing. I should give that a try. And so uh, back in 2013, I fired up, shot a quick little video using the webcam on my computer and threw it up on the Internet. No one saw it, Uh, but I didn't have time to post more videos. And then six months after that, I posted a couple more, got busy, didn't post anything else. And then summer of 2016, I found myself unemployed for a few months and went to go see the new Ghostbusters movie, the one that everyone freaked out about because it had girls in it or something like that. I saw it and I was like, uh, oh, this is just a totally mediocre movie. Why don't I start a movie review channel? And so shot a review of it, posted it on the internet. And the next day I was like, that was kind of fun. And so then I posted another review and another review. And about two weeks in, I had a video that got a little bit of traction and just enough that I went, oh, wow, this YouTube thing, you can actually make it doing this. Like, It actually kind of works for you if you you put the time into it. And about two weeks into it, I went, I think I'm going to try and do this right and stick to it. So I bought some, you know, little training course on how to do YouTube right. And two and a half years later, here I am full time. That's the quick version of how it started.
1: One thing that I think that a lot of fans out there, whether you're creating content on YouTube, whether you're doing a podcast, a live stream, it's a lot of more work than some people think. It's not like you just grab your camera or video camera, whatever gear that you're using, set it up at your desk and didn't just start rambling on. There's planning involved. There's a lot that goes into it. You know what I mean? I'm sure that you put an awful lot of time. Like you don't just say, all right, I'm going to do a movie review of whatever movie, watch it, and then 10 minutes later, it's up. There's a lot There's a lot of planning and a lot that goes into it, I think, that some people don't understand. It's a lot of work is what I'm basically getting
0: at. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And that's like last week, I put out my review for How to Train Your Dragon 3. Well, I saw the movie two or three weeks before that, but I'd studied my graphs and tried to figure out when is it going to be trending? When is there going to be the biggest spike Will people where people will be interested in that movie before it comes out? And so I waited several different weeks. And so I spent several weeks kind of tweaking some of my language about it and trying to come up with some good analogies, illustrations, the best way to articulate it. And that was just kind of one movie review that I put several weeks into thought into this one video to try to get the most out of that video.
1: How did you grow your subscribers to where you got it today? I mean, it's one thing, there's lots of people out there who might have a take on a TV show or a movie, stuff like that. You might have a couple dozen subscribers, a couple hundred, even a couple thousand, but you've grown your channel now to around 87,000 subscribers.
0: That's an awful lot. How did you grow that channel? Um, So for my first year, it was all kind of... Addition or addition, like it was subscriber growth by addition, where just trying to go to other people's channels, like hey, I, you can review movies, I review movies, let's become friends and comment at each other's videos, and talking to people one by one, and just kind of like put out the same content everybody else was putting out, and so just kind of growth by three people per day, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And about a year in, I noticed that my most popular videos were my ranking videos, where I would take like a whole movie franchise and I would say. All right, let's put those in order from worst to best. So it's like very consumable, quick moving movie reviews and very evergreen. At any point in time, you can check one of these out. And I went, these are always successful. What if all summer long, every time a new franchise came out, I put out one of these videos? Because I know other people put out some. What if I was the guy that put one out every single week? And I did that and consistently they outperformed my movie reviews. So then I started doing two per week, one for a classic franchise, you know, Indiana Jones or something like that, and then one for uh, whatever the new release was and started getting traction doing that. And I became known as kind of the ranking guy, which I don't think of myself that way, but that was essentially the, what I decided to identify as and found my niche where I would cut through. I did something more than anybody else. And I tried to do it better than anybody else. So I kept tweaking my formula. I kind of kept changing out the ingredients on how I did it until about six months after doing this, I went, all right, I've been doing these like 30 minute long podcast style rankings of franchises. What if I made it like 10 minutes long? Cause like, I'm a busy guy. I'll never watch a 30 minute video of someone else doing this. What would I watch? Well, I'd watch like a 10 minute version. So I put out a 10 minute version of one of these videos. And it was like, I'm going to only talk about the movies for like 30 seconds and make that small tweak to it. Updated my editing style, tried to make it the slickest video I'd ever done. And that video got 10 times as many views as any other video that I'd ever had on my channel. Wow! It kind of blew my mind. I was like, wow. Uh, And it was such a level of success that I had been interviewing for a new job uh, because I was underemployed at the time. And I turned down the job basically and said, there's enough hope in this YouTube thing. Like this is going somewhere. That wasn't a fluke. Like that was a conscious decision. That was a strategic decision based off studying analytics, doing the hard work, like we just talked about. And Basically, that's when it started to take off. And then three months after that, just kept going down that path, kept tweaking the formula. And then it really exploded one year ago, February 2018. It exploded where I really started to latch into how to do that ranking thing and dig deep into how to do it right. Um, Even to the point of you discovered me because I was like, what's someone that I keep hearing people talking about? The office. All right. What if I apply my ranking concept to the office and then – the, my office videos have been very successful as well. So that's that's kind of the idea.
1: They have, and that is literally how I first discovered you to begin with. On my blog, I just got done with a six-part series where I was power making every single episode of The Office, all 185 of them. So I went on YouTube, and my goal was to find some Office countdown, some other people's thoughts on it and stuff. And that's where I found yours, and you're 100% right. Your videos are not too long. They're not excessive at all. You say what you got to say, and you keep the audience's attention. I think you have one about, you know, ranking each season. You have one where you rank the top 10 episodes. You have another one where you rank the 25 characters of The Office, and they're all 20 minutes or less, and that's a lot of ground to cover. So you get in and out of your points in a, in a good way that keeps people engaged without it being dragged on and boring. So anyway, about a year ago, you began the process of planning a transition from doing this on a part-time basis to going full-time. Was that process hard for you and was it tempting at times to just say, you know what, I don't want to have any patience. I want to do this right now. Was it hard sometimes to be patient? Oh yeah. Well, so the
0: thing that helped in putting the brakes on uh, was my <laughs> wife got pregnant. <laughs> so well, I actually had a plan initially to go full-time about six months prior to this. It would have been this two year anniversary of being at the the job that I had up until last Friday. And so I was like, "What? that would not be cool right at the two year anniversary, which is a probably not a great way to decide the future of your family. But um, after after that video in November of 2017, where I first kind of cracked the code of how to make very consumable content, that's where I was like, I think this is going to work. So I went into 2018. That was my goal by January 1st, 2019 to be full time. And basically what I it started with a series of conversations with my wife of what do we need to do to do this responsibly? I am i don't want to burn you. I don't want to stress you out. I don't want to add work to you. I want to find out how do we do this in a way that does not affect our way of life. And so we just kind of wrote a bunch of things on a literal whiteboard. We went out and bought a whiteboard, wrote on the whiteboard, all right, we need to pay off this. We need to save this. We want to get this repair done on the house. And we mapped it all out. And just started working through the list is kind of what happened and built some safety nets. I did a lot of studying kind of analytics on YouTube, the trends of when things were hot, when things were weren't, tried to figure out how to diversify my revenue stream. So I wasn't just trusting YouTube and their AdSense program, which is very unreliable. Uh, Like literally last week, they had another kind of catastrophe story news break. So like ad revenues dropped The very week that I was quitting my job, which that could have been terrifying, but I had a plan. Like I worked that into the formula of going full time. And then the last one was just deciding on the time frame. And my initial plan of going full time January 1st is really stupid because January is known for being like either the worst or the second worst month for movies in the entire year. Well, that's not a good time to launch full time. But when is a good time? right before the summer movie season, right before one of these new Marvel movie comes out. And so that kind of determined my time frame. of Captain Marvel comes out in a couple weeks. And this gives me some ramp up time to really jump on that wave and uh, be successful. But yeah, I was just studying analytics and making sure that my wife was okay with what we were doing and she could sign off on it, that I wasn't just jumping off a cliff with her and pulling her off. <laughs> I'm with, Sean Chandler,
1: YouTube content creator, Sean Chandler talks about channel. I'm sure the most fun has got to be seeing a video be successful for you and people commenting and enjoying it. That's obviously a good point. What do you think is probably the hardest part about being a YouTuber?
0: Something that maybe the average person might not know much about. Um, I mean, the obvious one is people people are the best part and the worst part. You know, people love what you're doing. You get to have great conversations with them. You meet a bunch of people that become your actual friends. Like there's some other movie reviewers that are people that I message on Facebook more than I message my real life friends. And so that's awesome. But then, you know, you have people that just don't stop to think about the fact that I'm a person. Right. And they don't stop to think about the fact that I actually read the comments. And As we talked about before, I try to be in the comment section as much as I can and respond to as many comments as I can. And if it's a slow day, I will read every single comment that's left and try and heart like or reply to every single comment. But so then that means every single moron that says something rude or I have a lot of young followers that – they're not thinking about how what they're saying is read by me. And so they'll just say something just cruel, mean-spirited, and I'll try and graciously respond back to them. Sometimes I get a little bit short with them. I wish I didn't do that as much. But I'll respond back to them and be like, oh, sorry, man. I love your com- channel. I was just joking around. I didn't think you'd see this. And so there's a side to it that you just have to grow thick skin. You have to get used to uh, your – the things you're insecure about being – exposed by people. Like I'll be thinking like, Oh man, in that video, I I, I have a, I've noticed afterwards, I had a pimple or something like that. That's just bright red on my forehead, you know, something like that. And then 20,000 people saw it and a couple people are commenting on it. Well, that's not fun. (laughs) People point out things like that. And so that's probably one of the ones that's been trickiest for me is, uh, dealing with that because I want to be in the comment section. I want to be interacting with people, but sometimes it's like, I have to step out of it because it, gives you a very distorted view of the world because people either think you're the best person on the planet or they think you're a moron and they tell you that directly. And so that's the one for me. It's just the people are the best and the worst part of the whole thing. You know,
1: whether you're creating content on YouTube or you're a sports writer and athletes, I've talked, had so many conversations on this podcast. It's kind of the same deal like with on Twitter. You just have, a, you have a lot of fans, a lot of people who mean well, but you do have that small percentage of people who are just trolls. And they're going to say whatever they want to say or whatever they got to say to get you going because their sole intention is to incite a reaction from you. You know, like I said, I've talked to a lot of sports writers who, you know, they just got to I've seen some of the tweets that they have to deal with. You know what I mean? Some of these people. So I can't imagine, you know, I don't have time, obviously, to sit there and read all of your comments on your, but I'm sure, like you said, there's got to be a small percentage of people who just really get under your skin. And it's got to be a big challenge to just be able to have that thick skin and be able to blow it off. What tips would you have before we move on for somebody out there, because there are a lot of people out there right now who are aspiring to be a YouTube content creator, what's the best advice that you could give someone who's thinking about starting it?
0: All right. So I'll give you a few real quick ones. First one is if you're thinking about starting, just do it. Just start. Don't worry about it if it's going to be good or not, because it's not going to be good. Your first stuff is your worst stuff. You can, I haven't pulled any of these, my early videos, they're all still on there. And the frame rate, the lighting, my, the way I'm talking, my energy is level. Is it, it hard for care. you to watch
1: sometimes? Is it hard for you to go back and watch
0: some of those? The yeah, first the it's early It's awkward. Ones? Yeah. It is weird to go back to watch and be like, Oh, Oh man. <laughs> like, why didn't I put a light in front of me? Why is the light all behind me? I'm backlit, right. back lid. And like, there's one where I'm sitting in front of my, my window and there's no light on my face and so i'm literally just silhouetted for the whole thing and just awkwardly stumbling through this review and like oh man i was i posted this in my 30s after like 10 years of a background in public speaking, and I still was this incoherent doing this video. Oh, man. And so just get started. You have to get some at-bats to get good at it. It's like every single thing you do, you have to practice to get good at it. Second one, if you're just starting out, try lots of different things. And I mean, copy whoever it is that you want to be like. Don't stay copying. That's not a long-term strategy. But when you're starting, you just need people to emulate. You need people to be role models and try and do what they're doing and figure out you, what you're good at. And you'll try and do some stuff and it's really unnatural and you go, oh, that's not me. But you'll do other things. You'll be like, this feels like me and infuse your personality into it. So that's when you're getting started. And then if you want to do it seriously, if you want to start making money and really growing – you got to do the hard work. You got to look at your analytics. You got to study how YouTube works and keep up on the trends and all of it and uh, learn best practices with thumbnails, titles, all that stuff. You have to do the work side of it. You can't just throw out things and expect it all, all to just kind of come together. That's not the way it works. It's too bit crowded of a space now. You have to do the hard work if you want to cut through. And finally, you have to find your niche. You got to find the thing that you're the best at, that people identify you with this thing thing. Like if you start and you just do movie reviews, there's a hundred thousand people doing movie reviews. Even if you're awesome at it, you'll never be discovered because there's just too many people out there. And so find your niche, work hard at it and just get started. All right. That's solid
1: advice. Moving away from the business aspect of it. By the way, you posted, we're taping this on Monday, airing this on Tuesday morning. You posted a review of fighting with my family on Monday. Plenty of WWE fans listen to this podcast. I think that they're interested. I'm certainly interested in your take. You gave it an A- for quality and an 8.5 eight out of 10 for entertainment. Now, of course, I'm going to refer fans to go see the full review on your channel, but give us a quick condensed
0: version of why this movie worked for you. Yeah, because it it it's a sports family dramedy. And so all three of those elements, the sports side, it's got those hoorah, yes, victory type moments as you're having that underdog element to the story. It's got family drama and the emotion stuff hits. It really works. You feel it. It feels authentic. And the comedy is organic. And all of it goes back. There's great characters in this movie. They feel like weird, quirky people that you would know. And the comedy – And drama flows out of their quirky personality and their relationships with one another, and the drama flows out of their character flaws. They're nuanced characters that you love them for their quirkiness, but then they have faults and they make poor decisions throughout the film. And then even the way the story plays out, it has all of the tropes and the cliches of the sports genre set up inside of it. And you think it's heading in cliche directions. And then at the last minute, it pivots in a different direction. It subverts your expectations and it still delivers all the things you want out of a sports movie, but it does it in a way that you're not expecting. So I I was very pleasantly surprised with the film. I'm not familiar with uh, Paige's story at all. So this was all fresh and new for me. And I, I thought it was really good. I think that what sports fans, fan or not, wrestling fan or not, this is just a a solid, funny movie that's very heartfelt. No, I'm definitely going to have to go see it, especially after that review.
1: All right, let's get to why I discovered you in the first place. Okay. That's The Office, my favorite TV show of all time. Like I said, I just finished running down a power rankings of all 185 episodes. I first discovered you because I was doing research and I wanted to see what other people were thinking and saying. And that's why I first found your um countdown of the top 10 episodes of The Office of All Time. I want to run down those top 10. And right. again, people, everyone go to your channel. I'll have, I'll have a link in the show notes and all that stuff with this video specifically. So you don't have to run down every episode at length. But I do want to run down those top 10 episodes and maybe you have a quick comment or two at most on what why it worked for you so much. All right. So let's start right there. Number 10. And I'll tell you where I had it to ranked too, by the way. Number 10, you had money. That was the episode. I don't have the season in front of me, but you had money. I have that ranked 28th. I thought it was really good because of the I declare Bankruptcy line, which is an absolute classic. But yeah, you
0: had that 10. That that was in your top 10. So for me, uh, really, all the first four episodes of season four, I didn't know which one to pick. All of them, I was like, any one of those four could have been that 10 spot. Um, all of them have classic moments like I declare bankruptcy. And so uh, just that was the show at a real creative high right there for me. Number nine, you have Diversity Day. That was from season
1: one. I think that was the second episode ever. I had to yes. rank number four. That was a classic. I mean, yes. maybe the pilot didn't do too much for people, didn't move the needle much. But that second episode got a lot of
0: people hooked, me included. Absolutely. There's, and so much of it is so quotable, especially Michael Scott saying, if you are a racist, I will attack you at the North. Abraham Lincoln. <laughs> <laughs> Number eight, you have
1: Business School. I had it right there too. Actually, I had it 10th. That's another great episode. I think that was from season three Business School.
0: Uh Uh-huh. Uh-huh. That one was uh, directed by uh, Joss Whedon, um, which is a nice little fun detail on that one. But, yeah, just classic Michael making a fool of himself in front of a bunch of people. And you just kind of learn a little bit of that of But the last scene where Pam has an art show, that's what kind of sealed it for me of, like, really getting the emotion of the show and the relationship between Michael and Pam. That's what really sealed it for me.
1: Yeah. You know, Michael could come off as so unlikable, but then he wouldn't have those redeeming moments. And that was definitely one of his biggest in the whole series coming there because it was genuine his his appreciation of the of the, her painting was it felt genuine you know what i mean yes. he didn't
0: feel forced at all right and that like his response is like well i mean obviously i have to buy it to put it in the office it was just such a real michael scott there's no nothing fake about it it's just such a great moment number and seven then it, it, go ahead. and then it ends with a joke though they go in for the hug and there's something in his pocket and he goes it's a junkie <laughs> and it's a chunk that's and it's right, a chunk yeah. <laughs> And so they even pay it all off with a joke that just absolutely lands. Yeah, number 6. Or I'm sorry, number
1: 7 we have the injury. I have that right there too. I had a number 6. Great. I mean when Pam says that he cooked his foot, that was absolutely hilarious. And him sticking his foot in the MRI machine at the
0: end, that was just brilliant, man. Yeah, just I think this is one of those classic it could be a throwaway episode or it could be a classic episode. And it just uh, turns out to be one of the classics because it's just all sharp writing and it sets up like the long-term friendship between Dwight and Pam just kind of out of the blue. Suddenly they become friends and that becomes really important for the rest of the series. Sure. Number six. And I love this finale. I had it right.
1: I think I might've had it like third, definitely top 10. I love the finale. And before I get your take on it, You know, there's so many shows and I'm sure you grew up watching a ton of great shows that you enjoyed as a kid, as a young adult, as a a grown adult that kind of let you down at the end. You know, the last season might be a great Mm -hmm. show, but it ends badly. You kind of like, maybe this should have ended a couple of seasons before. I I think that there's a lot of people out there who might say that the office should have ended after Michael Scott left, but whatever it went for nine seasons. But this specific episode, the finale was brilliant. I thought it was almost perfect. It tied everything together. So good.
0: Yeah, I, I would tend to be pretty negative on the last two seasons. I'd say that they're the two weakest seasons of the oh, show. Yeah. Yep. But then they they absolutely pulled it together for the finale. Uh, they brought Michael back for just the right amount. It wasn't about Michael. It didn't feel like he dominated the show, but you got exactly what you wanted, which is some great Michael Scott moments, some great Michael Scott jokes, and then finding out how happy he is and that he has two phones to hold all the pictures of his kids. Such a perfect Michael Scott um, little Bookend for his storyline, and then you get great, the the great final five minute sequence of them kind of reflecting backwards. And Andy, who is pretty tedious in the last season, gets one of the best serious lines of the entire series, where, about how you don't know you're in the good old days until they're gone. Yeah, and just ends things really nicely. A great bookend to the series. Number five, you have Stress Release. but from season five. It was a double double episode, really funny. Right. That for me, this is probably one that it. I like The Office the most when it kind of feels grounded, heartfelt, relates to kind of very human emotions and situations you might feel in an office. This episode is kind of the opposite of that because it's the it's like the pinnacle of the over the top side to The Office, the sight gags. But it's so funny. It is just like just laugh out loud. These big obnoxious scenarios involving Dwight acting crazy and they're really, really funny. And then the second half, you get the roast of Michael Scott. Um, So it's just, this is one of the funniest episodes. It doesn't have to necessarily that deep heart that I mentioned in those other episodes, but just very funny.
1: Number four from season six, Niagara, which was the kind of the payoff for everyone who rooted for Pam and Jim to see the wedding. It was funny. That's right up there for you among your favorites,
0: obviously. Yeah, my wife and I, big Jim and Pam fans, and some of my favorite story arcs is them in the first three seasons of the show, and so this being kind of the payoff of that, a lot of great setups for jokes. Everybody gets a moment in there to shine in the spotlight, and so just – Very the type of episode that just puts a big smile on your face, whether the laughs or just seeing them getting married and even the way they did it, like, all right, I know Michael's going to do something crazy. So let's have our backup plan. And and then having the payoff line in there where Jim goes, you know, you know, plan A was uh, actually marrying her years ago. And so we're on plan C. Number three, the season premiere of season three, Gay Witch Hunt. Yeah, this one for me, I think this is the first episode that my wife and I watched. And so because this TV show is kind of like the defining TV show of our marriage, of this one that when we're newly married, discovered it and started watching it, and we've been watching it on loop ever since. This one, we have a ton of nostalgia for it. But it's an episode where the show could have kind of gone off the rails because they split the office into two locations. They added a whole second cast to the show. And it still kind of worked. It it still landed. It had a great setup with Michael stepping across all sorts of social boundaries and then creating this new cast of characters with Andy Bernard in the mix that you actually liked. And so uh, this one to me is one of the most memorable for that reason. All right. And number two, you have
1: the one that I have a number one on my countdown dinner yeah. party. <laughs> it's just, it could have been so it's awkward, but it's so funny at the same time. It could have been a disaster, but it was brilliant, I thought.
0: Right, this is that one of the things the show is known for and does so well is that that awkward, uncomfortable tension, and it's funny because it's there's a reality to it that you can rem, it reminds you of something situation you've really been in, and this episode to me is the peak of that awkward tension humor. Uh, the whole episode beginning to end, you're like, Oh, this is so uncomfortable. If you're old enough and know enough people, you've been in enough of these situations where you've been to dinner parties. Uh, like I remember growing up, going to a dinner party at someone's house and the husband came in late and he sits down. We're already at the dinner table and he gets the first bite of the food and it's cold. And he goes, oh, this is cold. And the wife stands up and starts screaming at him. It's because you're late. It's because you're late. And so whenever I first watched this episode, I was like, this is just like all these situations I've been in before. It's brilliant.
1: (laughs) All right. Number one. And I have this very high as well. You have season two finale Casino Night. Why is that number one to you?
0: Going back to – is a lot of it's the same stuff as where Niagara made it very high on the list. It's what uh, the other kind of climax for Jim and Pam of uh, he tells his feelings, first kiss, kind of everything had been building up to that point in time. You get the payoff of all of that. But even before that, right out of the gate, the opening scene, you get this great moment where they're about to have a casino night and Toby lives off all this great list of reasons why this is kind of probably not the best place to bring a – bunch of Boy Scouts into our dangerous warehouse catered by Hooters and gambling. And Michael responds back. Why are you the way that you are? Just every time it's just (laughs) this great Michael Scott line, just classic, classic stuff. Then throughout the whole episode, everybody gets a little funny joke in the mix. Classic Michael Scott scenario where he invites two women to it. And he's trying to like, a finagle his way through the whole thing. And then the two ladies are competing with each other. So it just hits on everything that I like about the office while having a bunch of these great payoff moments. So for me, I, I, that's the one that my wife and I, we put on the most we put it on constantly rewatching it. Oh man. I love that show
1: so much. All right, folks follow Sean on Twitter at Kirk never died and check out his YouTube channel. Again, it is called Sean Chandler talks about, And I'll put that in the show notes as well. Before I let you go, tell our listeners one more time about what we can expect on your channel going forward and tell movie and TV fans out there listening why they should be subscribing
0: to your channel. Yeah, my channel is all about people that love to talk about movies way too much. And if you're someone that's driving people crazy talking about movies, that's what it's all about, to have a nice, great conversation down in the comment section. So whatever the big releases are, I'm going to have a review. I'm going to have a ranking of the franchise, trying to just spark conversations. Whatever is most interesting about the new releases, that's what I want to put out there to spark that, create a place to talk about movies way too much. That's what my channel is about. Here's to good friends.
2: Cheers. Cheers.
0: Cheers. Cheers. All right. Everybody in the conference room. I don't care if you are gay or straight or a lesbian or overweight. Just get in here right now.
1: All right. That is a wrap for this episode. Big thank you again. Sean Chandler. From the Sean Chandler Talks About YouTube channel. If TV or movies are your thing, that's definitely a channel worth checking out. Puts out really good content, very consistent, lots of entertaining stuff there. So go check that out. Thanks as well to my buddy Aaron Quinn from Cover One. Yet another segment down on the show with him. Love talking sports with him, pop culture, all kinds of stuff. Look forward to much more of that in the future. Guys, if you haven't done so already, I invite you to subscribe to this podcast. It's quick. It's easy. It's completely free. When you subscribe, new episodes automatically get sent directly to your phone or to your computer within minutes of the release. That's the big benefit of subscribing. You don't have to wait for them to be posted. They automatically will get sent directly to your phone or to your computer. I usually have a new show every Tuesday and Friday. If you have an iPhone or an iPad, all you got to do is whip it out. Open up that Apple Podcast app, type in Analytics Podcast under search, hit the subscribe button, bam, literally, that's all you got to do. Don't forget to rate and review. Again, that helps us tremendously. If iPhones or iPads simply aren't your thing, or if you prefer to get your podcast elsewhere, you can also hit us up on Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spotify, pretty much anywhere future award-winning podcasts are found. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter for updates, news, takes, God knows what else. You could do that at tweets. Enjoy the rest of the week. Have a safe one. Talk to you guys again on Friday. I'll catch you on the flippity-flip. Bye.